Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Influencer Podcast and welcome back to our really exciting and fun month of celebrating my brand new first ever book, Get What You Want, How to Go from Unseen to Unstoppable. It is now available wherever books and audiobooks are sold. Now to celebrate the launch of Get What You Want, I have been giving you a sneak peek into this book over this last month. I gave you the entire introduction two weeks ago, episode 269, and then last week with episode 270, I gave you a huge portion of chapter one to start diving into, and today I'm giving you the entire chapter of chapter two to listen to and dive into today with me. Now in chapter two, I help you get clear on what you really want. Here's the thing. Most of us don't know what we want, which makes it impossible to get what we want. So use chapter two to start articulating what it is that you do want by mapping out exactly what it is that you don't want. And I'm going to walk you through how I really discovered this in my own life in today's episode. You're going to get this entire chapter for free today. And if you want to grab the rest of the audiobook or get your hands on the hard copy, if you haven't done so yet, you can go wherever books are sold or you can head over to juliesolomon.net slash get what you want and do it there. We make it very easy for you over there. No matter where you decide to grab your book, make sure you come to juliesolomon.net slash get what you want and submit your order number. Because if you do that, I'm going to send you a free ticket to a live virtual workshop that I am leading later this summer. That's going to help you put all of the goals that we talk about in this book and really all of the work that we start to do in this book into action. I'm going to be leading you through all the prompts, all the study guide questions that I have in the book, all of the reflections that are going to start coming up during this workshop. You will not want to miss this. Again, that is juliesolomon.net slash get what you want. Now let's get started into chapter two. What do you want? Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon. If you found yourself here, it means you are ready to unleash the powerful visionary that lives inside you turning you into an authentic leader who creates influence, impact, and change. Let's get started. Chapter two, what do you want? In the summer of 2007, I graduated from college and moved to New York City. I had never been to New York except for one time a few months prior on a university journalism trip. I had fallen in love with the vibrance and possibility of the city and knew that was where I wanted to be. I moved to New York with no job, no place to live, and no friends. Through friends of friends, I was able to couch surf for a few months while I looked for a job. About three months of tirelessly searching for a job and putting out resumes, I landed a position as a PR assistant for a music publicity agency. This agency was boutique and had an incredible reputation of working with some of the biggest and best music acts at the time. It was run by a fabulous woman who was a force to be reckoned with. She was powerful, independent, successful, and a bit scary. I had never met anyone like her before, nor did I see any of her strong qualities in myself. The new city and new job brought with it my first taste of culture and experience that I had never been a part of before. It was also my first time witnessing, daily, powerful women living their purpose and leading their path. These women were respected and admired for their work and abilities, not just for the way that they looked or acted. My time in New York was life-changing and challenging. As a PR assistant, I was expected to survive on $25,000 a year in one of the most expensive cities in the world. In addition to the $3,000 a month one-bedroom apartment 
that I had converted into a two-bedroom so I could split the high rent with someone, I owed $30,000 in student loans. Fortunately for me, my mom and stepdad generously decided to help ease the strain on my wallet by giving me $500 a month to put toward my rent. This only covered about 35% of what I owed, but was still a tremendous help. Nevertheless, I had to make every dollar count in order to take care of my basic needs. Then there was also the added pressure that I had to eventually make it on my own. My mom made it clear that this help was just temporary. Look, we can help you for about 12 months with this, she said. Then you're on your own. I always say that I learned more in one year in New York than most people learn in a decade there. It was fast and tough. I was thrown into the fire more than once, but what I got to experience was the gift of seeing, for the first time ever, strong women of different colors, races, beliefs, and backgrounds not only leading an industry, but damn near owning it. The owner of the company, Linda, took no prisoners. My boss, Carlene, was an incredible mentor. I learned from this experience what it meant to ask for what you want, how to negotiate for what you deserve, how to influence others to get on board with your ideas, and most important, how to achieve remarkable results. But as clear as I was that I wanted to be here, I was running out of money. I might have learned how to ask for what you want, but I had yet to figure out how to make that work for myself. Weeks turned into months. After more than a year with no raise in sight, I knew deep down I could no longer go on financially without the support of my parents, let alone without the tools and life skills to figure out my next steps. The only thing that I knew to do was go back to what was safe. I made an appointment with Linda and Carlene to put in my two weeks notice. As I sat in her office and told her I couldn't afford to be there anymore, Linda asked how much it would cost for me to stay. I was so confused by that question. How much? I didn't know the opportunity to stay was possible, so I couldn't give her an answer. I had no idea. I hadn't even considered it. I thought, what does she mean? How much would it cost? Looking back now, I know what she meant. She was giving me an opportunity to pitch myself, to negotiate for myself the way that I had learned to do so for our clients, to ask for and get what I wanted. She was seeing me in a way that I had never seen myself. I had, up until that point in time, seen myself as a helpless person who always did and acted as everyone else did, who was making her way in the big city, but who also didn't think she could make it on her own. I was being called back to what was comfortable. In Tennessee, I had a home, my family, my ex-husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, and it felt as if they were all egging me to come back. But in New York, I had women I admired saying they wanted me there, saying that I had a place and belonged. This was my chance to become who I wanted to be, but I just couldn't see in myself what they saw in me. And it felt selfish to ignore the calls to come home. Linda and Carlene believed in me, in a different way than other women had believed in me before. No teacher or coach had ever believed in me the way they did. Linda believed in my work, my ability to serve, and my ability to carry out a purpose. And that was what was so gut-wrenching to me. I knew in that moment that I was giving up on my dream to be bigger and shine brighter, to work with amazing people, to do amazing things, without trying to fight for the future that I wanted for myself the future I was fully capable of creating. Returning home, I had mixed feelings of relief and shame. I was relieved not to be letting anyone down, but I was filled with shame 
especially for not using my voice and for giving up on my dreams. But this experience taught me the most important lesson of all during my time in New York. The moment I told my bosses that I needed to go home, I knew I never, ever wanted to feel that way again. I never wanted to give up on my dreams again. I never again wanted money to be a determining factor and why I should have to give something up. I would never again sacrifice myself over money. When I got back home to Tennessee, I fell into a mild depression. I felt lost, with no vision, passion, or purpose. I didn't know what my dream was, but I knew how that experience in New York made me feel. I just didn't know how to get back to that feeling. So I spent the next few years trying to figure out where I fit in the world. I transitioned my work from music PR to book PR and started to learn even more about the craft that would lay the foundation for the career I would have a decade later. I started to gain more corporate experience and wins. I was learning things, going to important meetings, sitting in on important discussions, and getting to work with some incredible authors. Yet, I was always searching for more. I spent several years trying to get back to that sense of feeling invigorated. I longed for feeling like what I was doing really mattered and brought joy to my life, instead of just a time clock and a paycheck. The truth was, I didn't. I felt empty, and I knew I wasn't doing what I really wanted. I got so consumed by caring about what other people thought and pleasing everybody else that I didn't even know how to give myself permission to know my own feelings. I had totally lost touch with what I, Julie, truly felt. People-pleasing in order to connect with others is like chewing gum to satisfy your hunger. You crave true connection, but you only show people a cheerful, agreeable version of you. They like this version, even love it, but no matter how many compliments you get, you're still starving in the end. The obsession with people-pleasing turned me into a version of Jekyll and Hyde. I would either be a doormat that you could walk all over or my frustration of pleasing would evolve into me becoming a self-righteous punisher hell-bent on making sure you knew how wrong you were for making me abandon myself. I always felt that there's got to be more than this. I had this vision, and I was so afraid to speak it out loud, afraid people in my life would suffocate the vision out of their own fear and protection of me. It is an extremely vulnerable thing to share your vision with someone because doing so opens you up to false confirmations that you aren't good enough for the vision, which is the biggest fear of all. My family thought I was crazy. They would say to me, Julie, you're never satisfied. What's wrong with you? My ex-husband would get dismissive. He didn't understand why I didn't feel content or happy. He'd always tell me I was like a unicorn that could never be caught. When you hear from people all the time, when are you going to be satisfied? You start to believe that something is wrong with you. But in fact... They're asking the wrong question. Whatever happened to questions like, what lights you up? What do you enjoy doing that feels really good? What brings you the most joy? At the time, I didn't have the answers to those questions. I just knew that I did not want to be sitting in that dark cubicle anymore. But here is the million-dollar question that I was afraid to ask myself. What do I really want? I wanted to see the world, but I was told I couldn't. I wanted to feel safe, but many times I didn't. I so badly wanted to be loved and seen, but was afraid that people would see the real me. What if they didn't like me? What if they left? Then I'd be alone. 
As a child, I learned to walk on eggshells and to not make waves. If I was perfect, everything would be fine. But when I became so focused on making others feel good, I totally lost sense of what made me feel good. How in the world could I find that out? How could I self-actualize and find joy and purpose if I was so busy just trying to be safe, just trying to get by? And the things happening in my professional life were also being mirrored in my personal life and my relationship with my ex-husband. After seven years of being off and on in our relationship, we had given each other a shit-or-get-off-the-pot ultimatum. We were either moving forward together or not. I know, totally romantic. The stuff dreams are made of, right? The night my ex-husband and I met, we spent the evening staying up all night at a party. It wasn't during some wild evening like you would see in the movies. It was just the two of us fawning over each other's attempts to feel like we belonged. Now, it may shock some of my clients and followers that I was part of the wild crowd. In the social circles I was in, drinking and recreational drugs were the norm. But I felt it was important to share this and show you just how willing I was to go along with the crowd. I did my fair share of experimenting, but recreational drugs were never really my thing. However, it was the drug of choice of many of the people that I loved being around. And my drug of choice were those people. You know, the ones you think you need to save them from themselves. Being the hero in everyone else's story, that was my addiction. The complex people who lived with more reckless abandon were always the most interesting to me. And even though I would be the friend at the party who would be falling asleep on the couch at 4 a.m. while everyone else raged on, this literally happened on more than one occasion, it all felt normal and comfortable to me. We always pick the comfortable or familiar over what is best for us. Always. My relationships were passionate, chaotic, and unpredictable. I knew this growing up, and this is what I was drawn to as an adult. You see, that's the thing with people-pleasing. I lied so well that I even convinced myself. Nevertheless, I was what you might call a high-functioning codependent, responsible in college and very clear about my plans. I had learned throughout my childhood how praised I was for being a good chameleon. The terror of being found out was always greater than the fear of not being loved for who I was. So, I adapted. All of this is okay. Everything is completely normal and fine. See how good I am at school and partying? I fit in everywhere. Who am I? I am whoever you want me to be and more. Of course, the biggest hurdle I was left with was that I had conned myself. My fear of looking bad or feeling less than was my driving force in how I showed up in life and in all my relationships. And this fear kept me shaping myself into whomever and whatever I needed to be to make everyone adore me. You see, at this time in my life, I had always been a different person to different people. Lackluster to one, talented to another, inviting to most and isolating to a few, popular to some and unknown to a lot. Of course, this was all a defense mechanism, keeping me safe from rejection and abandonment. I stayed with my ex-husband for as long as I did because he was my security blanket. He was my comfortable companion. Even when we would break up and I would run off to try and save some other guy, I would always come running back to him. He was what I told myself was safe, right, stable. And in a lot of ways, he was. My family said to me, no one is ever going to love you as much as he does. He will never leave you, abandon you, or cheat on you. You don't have to worry about him. He's not crazy. He's not a bum. He's not an addict. What's wrong with you? Well, 
What was wrong was that I was so codependently entangled with him. I didn't even know how to be my own person. I would always abandon myself by overcommitting, overfunctioning, worrying, stressing myself out trying to fix things, and controlling things to avoid the distress caused by my own inability to speak the truth. My friends, as creators, we work so hard creating our content. So we don't want to leave it up to things like an algorithm to determine how successful our online brands and businesses can be. And that is why I love Kajabi. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs like myself build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. And I know they can help you too. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, your passions, your experiences into enriching offers like online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. What I love about Kajabi is that not only does it make it super easy to use, but they don't take a cut of your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. You don't need a huge audience to make a sustainable income online. I talk about that all the time here on the podcast. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures without having hundreds of thousands of followers, and you can too. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business Go to kajabi.com slash influencer, that's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash influencer. Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. My friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. I was so afraid of being alone that I would do whatever was necessary not to be alone. And that's the thing with codependency. We think we live in a world of just ourselves where everybody else is playing a part. We forget there's another person who has wants, needs, dreams, and desires. They may also be scared to ask for what they truly want because they are also codependent and scared of loss. My ex-husband and I kept each other from living our best possible lives because we were so caught up in trying to stay safe. I needed him to be okay in order to feel okay too. And the only way I thought he would be okay is if we got married and I never left him. If I never told him my big dreams and goals, if I never shared with him how rich and full of a life I wanted to have, then he wouldn't be scared away 
and all could stay as it was, familiar, safe, comfortable, small. I married the first man I ever loved and told myself that this is what love is, sacrificing myself for our marriage. It hurt to feel anything because feelings were only a reminder of the joy I thought I no longer deserved. So, I shut my feelings off like flicking a switch by repeating a little mantra of, it's fine, I'll figure it out. After a few repetitions, I'd go numb. That was my pattern. That was how I managed to stay with my ex for seven years, by using the same techniques learned earlier in life, by numbing myself from the truth. And this pattern taught me one of the most profound lessons in my life. You can't hide yourself and expect to be seen. Numbing myself stunted my ability to experience joy, delight, and fulfillment. This is another one of those blasted either-or truths. We get none of the feelings or all of them. Pain and sorrow are included in the package. If I want the joy and the delight, I must accept the full scope of my feelings. You cannot separate love from heartbreak, shame from empathy, joy from grief. This means in order to get what you want, you must be all in. It's part of the universal contract we all make by deciding to live a full life. As author and podcast host Brene Brown says, the brokenhearted are the bravest among us. They dared to love. You must decide for yourself how fully engaged you want to be in your own life experience. After years of trying to make it work, I decided to end the marriage. I kept looking in the mirror, trying to recognize the person there, until it became too unbearable to deny. I could no longer go another day without listening to my gut, and most important, act upon it. I chose to end my marriage because my heart was finally ready for the woman I always knew I could be when I decided to love myself more than any man. My biggest regret with my first husband is that I confused pity with love and caring with control because I didn't know how to give him the simple dignity of being himself. So how could I truly love and respect him? It's when we choose to love others without losing ourselves that we learn to accept love in return. People who spend their lives pleasing others never find the truth. They never find what they want because they spend their whole life pleasing. Pleasing their mother, pleasing their father, pleasing their spouse, or their friends, or their bosses. When you spend your entire life walking on eggshells, you can't be who you need to be because you must make everybody else happy and peaceful. I didn't know what I wanted, but I was starting to articulate very clearly what I didn't want. I started to see that I could be a good person with a kind heart and still say, no, this isn't for me. Knowing what I didn't want helped me create the path to what I did want, even though I had these feelings of shame, remorse, and regret. And I think that is one of the hardest parts of getting what we want, saying it out loud and coming clean to those in your life. For me, this began with creating boundaries for the first time in my life. The Importance of Boundaries In my first marriage, I had no explicit boundaries. On a subconscious level, I always had a sense of what was and was not acceptable to me, but I didn't feel entitled to act on those feelings. Instead, I would grow resentful, frustrated, and angry whenever those hidden boundaries were crossed. I would say, I know I don't care enough about my own needs to speak up for them, but how dare someone not read my mind and care enough to meet my needs and respect my boundaries? Shame on them. 
I felt like a helpless victim and spent many long hours with the poor me's. My lack of boundaries also left me confused. I was so focused on him that I could not see where he left off, and I began. I lost my sense of what was appropriate and okay. How can we distinguish between acceptable and unacceptable behavior when we don't even know what we want or need? My first marriage taught me the difference between walls and boundaries. Walls are solid and rigid. They keep others out. They keep me trapped inside. Boundaries are flexible, changeable, and removable. It's up to me how open or closed I'll be at any given time. Boundaries let me decide what behavior is acceptable, not only from others, but from myself. Knowing my boundaries does not mean forcing others to change. It means that I know my own limits and take care of myself by respecting them. The focus today and every day is finally on me. Today I have the option to set limits, to draw a line that I will not allow to be crossed. I may not please everyone, but in the long run, I think that is a more open and honest approach. The way I know I'm living within healthy boundaries today is when I no longer delay my happiness and I don't subject myself to the judgments or abuse of other people. There's something magical about reaching that point of becoming ready to settle into your boundaries with confidence, which I detail in the next chapter. We know what we mean, we mean what we say, and others take us seriously too. Things change, not because we're controlling others, but because we changed. The hardest part of setting and sticking to my boundaries has been to do this with love. It is so easy for me to justify my decisions by blaming other people and making them the villains so that I won't feel so guilty. But there is no villain. Blaming, judging, and justifying only harm an already fragile relationship. I don't ever want to forget that I'm capable of love. I believe that it is far more loving to allow others the dignity of facing the consequences of their actions without interference from me. Newsflash, I do not have to be everyone's savior. I am not the giving tree. I do not have to have all the answers. I do not have to figure it all out. What a freaking relief. This was not an easy decision for me to make, and I have paid a price. I had to give up my tremendous need to control what happens to other people. I have been forced to place my faith and trust in believing that I do not know what's best for everyone around me. Since that time, we have both moved on. My ex-husband is now happily married with a family, as am I. Today, I have a life of my own. I have work that I love, hobbies, good friends, and a growing relationship with my husband, and a business that continues to thrive. My life is far from perfect, and things still bother me. It's hard not to want to try to control, manipulate, and manage my way through so much in my life. But thanks to boundaries, it's no longer the single most important issue. I now get to focus on healing. I now get to fall in love with me. Thanks to boundaries, I will no longer know truths about myself, but lack the confidence to stand by them. As we heal, it's natural to grieve for our younger selves who are unable to set boundaries and protect their own bodies, minds, and hearts. Yes, you can survive the discomfort of setting a boundary, and the payoff is that you might just start to thrive. I shudder to think what Julie would have become had she gotten what she thought she needed in order to please others. Even worse, 
I shudder to think of all the things I would have missed out on. The deep and soulful connection with myself, my husband, and the birth of my two children, not to mention the career that wakes me up in the morning with feelings of gratitude, joy, and fulfillment. I think of all the people I wouldn't have been able to serve and help had I not helped myself, had I not had the courage to ask myself, what do you want? As always, thank you so much for joining me today and every week here on the Influencer Podcast. If you're wanting to dive deeper into the topics and discussions that we have here, I would encourage you to head over to juliesolomon.net and sign up for my weekly newsletter. It is in our amazing newsletter community that we are able to really support you on a much larger scale. And I love to do a ton of amazing things that I send inside your inbox every single week. So just head over to juliesolomon.net. You'll see a little spot there that you can add your information in and you will get on the list and start receiving all of that good stuff.